My name is Krista Bromley, and I've been at Impact for nine years, and I'm a mom to eight beautiful children <laughs> um, and also a wife to my husband, Ryan. I grew up in Florida with my mom from the age of, well, basically until I was 10 years old. It was just really a bad environment growing up. My mom was an alcoholic. Uh, she tried several times like to kind of retreat back from that, but just could never really get a hold of it. I moved in with my dad at 10 in the country in Tennessee uh, after my mom got really sick, and I really didn't really know him that well at all. I had gone and visited him every other holiday and half the summer up until that point. Five years after that, I was taken away from him for child abuse. I was taken away at 15 and placed in temporary foster care in Tennessee for like a couple of days. My mom came and got me and she took me back to Florida to live with her for, I don't know, it was probably a year. And I stayed with her until I just couldn't anymore. She really couldn't go hardly any time without drinking. So it was just really hard to live in the midst of that. Back when I was 16, I was living with a friend at the time and I was at school and I got the call from her mom that I needed to come home. She had gone and picked me up. I came home and she said, you need to sit down. So she told me that I needed to sit down and that a police officer was on the phone and was going to explain something to me. So I got on the phone and he basically said that we had found your mom, she had passed away at her home. In that moment, I was devastated. I mean, I knew my mom had an issue, but I never really thought through what kind of impact that would have had like on her life or mine, really. During that time, I just started rebelling, basically, and living out of just anger and frustration. I was so bad that my mom was taken from me um, and that I didn't have my father. And so that's really when I started getting into partying and drinking and doing drugs and living in sexual sin, having relationships with guys, just trying to find that love and that peace like within something that just didn't exist in that world. I knew where I needed to be, but at the same time, I just could not process those emotions like in the way that I needed to. I truly just, I felt like I needed just so much more support, you know, as a teenager. When I was 20, I met my second husband in a club in Florida, and we were both the designated drivers. We would go to church and we would try to, you know, walk the Christian walk, but there were things that we struggled with within our marriage that we just could not get on the same page with. Then we moved from Florida to Michigan. We thought that, you know, it would just give us a fresh new start living in a place where he grew up. The problem with that is, is that even though you switch locations, the problems within our marriage still existed. Our marriage ultimately ended. Here I am, three kids, living in Michigan, away from my home, and I just hit the lowest point in my life. What I went through in my childhood kind of um, started surfacing in this moment. I was alone 
You know, basically I had my kids, but I was living in a state with no family. And I just felt so like desperate for love. Um, and that's really when I started like telling myself, like, I'm going to church. I'm gonna do it for me and my family. And so we, we started going to church um, and we actually went to Grand Rapids first. While I was at Grand Rapids first, I had this mentor. She was a mom to a really good friend of mine. Um, and she basically took me under her wing and spoke truth and like light into just how I was feeling because I was really struggling with the shame of where I had basically taken my life um, as an adult because while some things I felt were done to me as a child that I really didn't have control over, I did make a lot of decisions out of my adulthood that kind of led me to where I was in that moment. She really just breathed a new life in me and um, just gave me like hope and a chance um, out of his word and just constantly just fed it into me. And it really just made all the difference in the world. We went there for um, a couple of years actually and I met my now husband, Ryan. <laughs> it was just so different from my previous marriages. We decided we were like, we need to find a church that we both really feel like we could, you know, settle on together and um, that's really when I start, we started coming to Impact. We both knew that we just still had a lot of work to do and in just digging through my past. I started going to counseling and seeing Erica Martino. She just really worked with me on kind of going back to those places in my childhood and and digging up some of the roots of some of those painful parts um, and dealing with those um, head on so that I could get past them, so that I could go on and live my life shameless, right, and uh, redeemed, and so that something beautiful could come out of this whole story that was so tragic. Where I was before was just such a broken, alone place, and really God has just restored so much of my story and has even healed my relationship with my dad, and we have an amazing relationship now. And I, I owe it all to, to God, you know? He brought me through so much and I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful. I don't, I don't know if Kristen is here today. Is Kristen here today? Or Krista? Yes. Can you stand up just for a second? Can we give it up for the honesty and vulnerability? transparency. See your family there as well. And uh, just what God's done in your life. Uh, we have a phrase, you'll see it as you leave today on the right hand side. It says every number has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. Every story matters to God. And you might come in here, I don't know your story, whether you think you matter to God, but God doesn't just see everyone in this place as a crowd. He sees everyone in this place in every seat, and he knows your story. And we don't just celebrate Easter at Impact once a year. We celebrate it every week. Because we think God is just bringing new life to people every week. He's not interested in just this once a year sort of thing. Easter is happening all the time in people's lives. And I'm just so grateful for you sharing your story with us. So much hope 
for so many people in this place. We're in an Easter series. It's just been a two-week series with the tagline, Look Again. Look again at an old story, just kind of looking at it afresh, looking at it again. Like, what's, what's really there? Is, is something like evading me? Am I eluding something? Am I evasive in this story? Is God wanting to show me something fresh and new? So we've been just given a second glance at this story because it's so easy to come, to dress up, get our pictures taken. We have all the trappings of Easter. I've got my new suit on. I don't know if you noticed. It's the first time in 19 years I've worn a suit to anything other than a funeral or a wedding to church. And so uh, my... Friends told me you have to wear it with no socks on. So right now, there's like a swamp inside of my shoes that I'm like just squishing around. And so I need somebody to wash my feet after the service if you're into that kind of thing religiously. But man, we dress up. But I'm going to tell you underneath this suit is just a regular dude in a messed up world trying to be faithful to the end. And I, it's the onslaught of darkness, the en- enemy, negativity, criticism, depression, loss of morale, sadness. Does anybody else feel that in this place? You dress up nice, but I know sitting in that seat is somebody who's been through it. And we don't want Easter just to be a nice little time where we have nice little feelings and have a swell time and then we go have lunch together and we forget about it throughout the year. We want to be like, God, what did you do in that story way back when and what can you do through that story in the here and now? Look again, I, when I was thinking about that this week, it reminded me late in high school, early in college, there was this thing called the audi, auto stereogram. Anybody know what I'm talking about? These auto stereograms were these pictures where it looked like somebody threw paint against something and it would be in little knickknack shops in the mall. And I remember my friends took me into the mall and they're like, you gotta see these paintings. They're incredible. And I, I must not like fine art because I'm like, that is just nothing but a bunch of paint all over the place, abstract, what's going on? I said, no, you have to look at the thing and the closer you look, at it, another picture is inside the picture that you can't see. And I'm like, yeah, right. Is this like snipe hunting where everybody's there and knows it's not true and makes the person look like a fool and and a spectacle. But within this piece of art is a dragon and it's flying up against like a bluff of uh, a sand bluff on an ocean. If you look long enough, it will sort of come out at you. Trust me, it's there. I was looking at it yesterday. It's incredible. This next picture is actually a flying bunny. It's a bunny that has wings. And I'm not joking. If you look at this long enough, and my friends are like, if you look at it. And so I'm looking at the mall at these things. And they're like, okay, sometimes you need to cross your eyes And if you cross your eyes, you'll start to see something happen. Now cross your eyes and then let one eye go straight like that. And then, do you see it yet? No, no, okay. Try to look at your reflection on the plastic that's over the picture and in the reflection, it will start to pop out. And so I'm looking at my reflection. I I still don't see it, man. You guys are lying to me and I was ticked off because they're like, oh my gosh, did you see it? It's an ocean. Look Look at the coral reef underneath and look at the stingray and look at the sperm whale and look at the porpoise it's amazing and I'm like shut up shut up and I'm looking they're like now look all the way through it Jason you're not looking through it I'm like I'm looking through it 
I don't see nothing. And as I sat there, all of a sudden it came out. I'm like, oh, I see it. I was like, is this demonic? Like, I just was like, this is nuts. Auto stereogram. Check it out. Google it today. How many of you can see this when you look in the store? Look, there are people that know I'm not lying. Only 12 of them. But the rest of you, take my word for it. It's crazy. There's more going on in our world than meets the naked eye. There's what you see, and there's stuff behind what you see in the unseen realm. And you can feel it. There's some days where you're in a fight with your wife or things are falling apart and the lug nuts are coming off in your life and you're like, something's going on and I can't explain it. But I feel an attack. I feel darkness. It's encroaching. I remember one friend a while back sent me a phrase that I thought was so clever and so real and so true. It says this, realize, 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 realize. They know something's going on. They have eyes to see something else behind everything that we think is the problem. It was uh, Monday, less than two weeks ago, not this last week, but the week before I woke up and it was just like any other Monday. I went to work, I had some correspondence, I spent some time with God, I did some writing in my journal, I came to work and I got a phone call. And it was a phone call from someone who, man, their life was falling apart, they were crying on the phone, they needed help, and so I said, man, I'll come and meet with you. And then right after that phone call, I got another phone call, it was a similar situation, and then I went to the coffee shop, and there were two people there at the coffee shop, and I'm telling you, my Monday just was completely taken over by people isolated incidents that I felt like, man, some sort of attack is happening today. It felt like the situation, remember George Bush when he was reading children's books to the little kids in class and then something happened and he had one of his assistants come up to him. You remember this scene? And he's there. It was as if through these phone calls, I'm like, oh my word. And it was whispered into my ear, we're under attack. It wasn't just our church, it was our community. It was members of the community, leaders of our community. It was homes in our community, hearts in our community. And I was like, our community is under assault. We are being ambushed simultaneously in what Ephesians 6 calls the day of evil where it comes hard and it comes dark real fast on a lot of people. Because we're under attack, like this next picture, this guy whispers, we're under attack, the towers have been hit. Open war is upon us, whether we would risk it or not, if you like Lord of the Rings. And I remember that week going to different houses, being at different houses until midnight several times. I remember coming together with the staff and just say, this is what's going on. And they're like, you're right, I'm under attack. I've been having dreams. Our kids are under attack. Our families are under attack. There's women coming into our restoration ministries and they're coming with stories of rape and molestation and abuse in their life. Everything was going on. Ideations of suicide, suicide attempts. I had somebody write me last night and say, I'm going to take my life. I'm going to take my life. 
And we can come in and do pretty little nice Easter, but our world and God's kingdom doesn't have enough time for those trappings to not, for us to sleep on something that's incredibly real going on in our lives and in our families and our friendships and in our community. We just cannot waste an Easter talking about just goofy stuff like bunnies and Easter egg hunts. It says in the Bible in Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against these powers in this dark world, authorities and rulers, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places or heavenly realms. There's more going on than the flesh and blood stuff you're attributing it to. If no one's ever told you this before, I want you to know there's more going on than flesh and blood around you. It caused me to go into the Easter story, particularly Passion Week, and just have eyes to see what is the spiritual realm? What's the spiritual dimension? What's the spiritual warfare taking place in the story in the last week of Christ leading to the cross and beyond? And when I looked, it was right there all along. I started reading and it started in this first passage really early on when they were in the upper room in John 13. And it says this, that, that the devil had prompted Judas that night. Just a prompting. It's so subtle. You, you, can, you can miss a prompting. It's so off the radar. It can happen. It can seem like it's not big of a deal. But something so small, one thing leads to another and our savior gets crucified. And it starts with a prompting of just one of the dudes that was his disciple. You ever been prompted, enticed? You ever had temptation? It didn't seem like a big deal. You can kind of, kind of write it off like, I can manage this, no big deal. It's not gonna hurt me. It's not gonna hurt anybody else. And it just starts with a prompting, a nudge, an inclination. It was about a month ago, I was on a plane coming back from a conference we went to down in Florida. And I was with my son, Caleb. He was in my row. And now in planes, when you go in planes, they charge you for pretzels and peanuts and Cracker Jacks and all that crap. Doesn't it tick you off? In the olden days, they didn't do that, right? That's what I told Caleb. They didn't used to charge us for this stuff, but now they're charging us. And he's like, I want it. He's always hungry. He wants to eat all the time. He's 1,130 pounds. And he's like, feed me. And I'm like, no, I'm not paying money for that stuff. We didn't used to do that back in the 1900s. I always love saying that. It makes me sound so old. And so we didn't, and he was, you know, ticked off the ingrate that he is. And so I went back to the back and I had to go to the bathroom in that one by one, you know, rectangular container. And I come out and I turn around and on the shelf, all the attendants were up and they're trying to take money from people for things that don't cost any money down there. And nobody's back there. And on the shelf is a Coca-Cola can, 12 ounce, had all these little beads of sweat on it. And it was whispering to me, I want you, do you want me? And I'm like, yes, I want you. I'm seduced by you. You sound delicious. And in my mind, it's like, and you know what? I wouldn't steal it if I took it because they're stealing from us. That's mine all along. You ever do this with a prompting? 
I can figure out ways to justify that that's mine and they stole it from me. And so, pastor that I am, took that thing and I put it in my coat pocket. Aren't you glad you invited your friends today? (laughs) And I went back to my seat and I was ready to share the spoils with my son. And I got back to my seat and it was in my pocket. And all of a sudden I had conviction and my conscience and the Holy Spirit inside of me started to prompt me as well. And I started to shake a little bit and I thought, am I gonna do it? Yeah, I should do it. And I started to justify and I was prompt. I was going back and forth. And then all of a sudden I just kind of heard loud and clear in my head, if you'll do this, you could do anything. If you start here, Jason, anything's possible. If you can steal that can of Coke, you could embezzle from the church. And so I grabbed the Coke. Caleb never knew this happened until I told him later. And he was like, dad. (laughs) And part of him, I was let down that his dad was a liar and a thief, just like he is. The other part was like, (laughs) the other part of him was like, dad, we should have drank it, right? And I took it back. And I was looking for cameras because I wanted CBS to know that I brought it back and I wasn't going to be on the news the next week. But I'm telling you, that's where it starts, doesn't it? Maybe you're there right now in the early stages of temptation. What big a deal could this make? Man, a lot can happen at a prompting. See, Satan was on the move. We go to the next text of scripture. He was trying to prompt the rest of the disciples, tempting them and Jesus said this to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that crazy that Satan knows in the power structure of the heavenly realm that he has to go to Jesus to ask permission to tempt you and to attack you and to test you? That's right. What's crazy about this passage, I wish... Jesus would have answered back like, yes, I prayed for you. And I, I, I really think Peter's like, can you not just pray for me? Can you just say no? But I think Jesus allows some things in our life for our maturity and our benefit so that we have the blessing of choosing to obey. It just wigs me out that in the heavenly realm, not flesh and blood, you don't see this, that Satan and Jesus and the angelic forces and demonic forces are coming together and they're imploring the other person, beseeching the other person, can I go and can I put them through the ringer? Can I drag them through a knot hole backwards this week? And Jesus is like, I prayed for you that you'd be strong, bro. You might be going through it right now and you think it's her and you think it's him and you think it's them and you think it's that and this is what's going on. And isn't it awesome that when you're going through that, Jesus isn't just someone to be prayed to. You can ask Jesus in prayer, can you pray for me? Jesus, I'm going through something right now. Can you pray for me, intercede for me? And you can talk to your dead uncle and your dead mom who you think's in heaven. You can talk to dead saints. There's nothing in the scriptures that say anybody that's died, no matter how awesome they are, can intercede for you. You can only talk to the one dead saint, the holy one, the innocent man, the intercessor, Jesus, and he'll pray for you. He's coming after all of us. He's asking Jesus permission. 
There's ways that he sifts me. I don't know if you'll relate to any of these and where you're at at the spectrum. It starts with distraction. And then it goes to deception where I'm confused and I don't know what's real or not. And then it goes to disruption. He starts to disrupt your, your life. And then it moves to depression where there's sort of sadness that comes over you. And then you start to move into desperation and you know people can do crazy stuff when they're desperate. And then ultimately his goal, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants your annihilation, your destruction. This is how he sifts us and he's patient. The story goes on and not long after that, Judas wasn't just prompted. It says in the text that Satan entered him. That's crazy. Actually, possession, oppression, demonization, he came into him and he went from like this disciple of Jesus to a disciple of Satan for his purposes. It's crazy when you're prompted, it's just one little step. And I remember one friend told me one time this phrase, sin will you know, take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. All of a sudden, he enters you, and it's like a different sort of scenario when demon oppression or possession happens and darkness floods your life, and you almost feel like it's not you making these moves or saying these things. It's interesting, right after he entered him, the next passage of scripture says, he, he went into the garden to betray Jesus with a kiss. You remember that? And he came in with soldiers that had torches and lanterns and, and weapons and they came in and Jesus came up to them. I love that he initiates it. Who, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And, this, and the text said is when he said, I am he, the soldiers drew back and fell to the ground. He spoke his name, not just any name, he spoke the name that Moses heard at the burning bush when Moses said, who am I and who should I say sent me to Egypt? He said, you tell them I am sent you. Yahweh sent you. And Jesus said, I am. Ego and me. I am. And his very name knocked these strong soldiers on their butts as they withdrew like, holy cow. Just his name has that kind of power. I don't care if Satan's on the move, demons are on the move, darkness is encroaching your life, your kids, your family, your livelihood, your business right now. I'm telling you the name of Jesus is power. Amen. Sometimes people, I don't know how to pray. I don't know flowery prayers. I'm not very religious. Just start with this prayer. Jesus, 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 go into your kid's bedroom. Jesus, I'm calling out to you, Jesus. You are the I am, Jesus. I encountered the power of God through the name of God in that same week that I was talking about a couple weeks ago. One guy wanted to talk to me after church a couple weeks ago for a half an hour and I could tell the story would take a lot longer than that. I said, can we meet this week? And so we met in the lobby out in the back at the couches. 
And I was like, just tell me a little bit of your story. He's like, well, when I was a kid, age one to 10, I went to church all the time. I asked Jesus to be in my heart. I just loved church. I was a part of the ministry there. I memorized verses. It was amazing. Up to about age 10, my mom got sick and she had cancer. And age 11, my mom died and my dad was having an affair while my mom died. And when I came home after she died, he was at home with this other woman in my house. And I just snapped and I just ran and I fell off a cliff and age 11, I lost my virginity. And then I started to sell drugs and do drugs for the next few years. I was 13. I had a middle brother that had Down syndrome, an older brother that was 18. My dad became an alcoholic. We had to make enough money to hold our house together and to pay all the payments. And the only way to pay the payments was to become part of the gang, the Latin Kings out of, out of uh, Chicago. So I became a part of that gang. And I basically committed all the 10 commandments, every last one of them. I committed those and then I was in jail for three years of my life because of all the misdemeanors and all the felonies that I committed. And now I'm 26, 27 years old and we just moved back here a month and a half ago and I have a fiance and I'm telling you, something in me is broken. Something's still dark. My fiance's like, what's wrong with you? You're not asking yourself. And he said, this last week I was sort of laying back and this bag of chips was over on a shelf over there and it literally came over and started shaking on my, like the top of my blankets and I'm sitting there and I said, I just sense there is darkness in your life. And it sounds to me, and I don't say everything's a demon, but I'm telling you, I think there's demonic activity in your life. The minute I said that in this building out in the lobby, his face changed, his voice changed. They're telling me, they're talking to me. And I'm like, what are they saying? They're telling me, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Leave right now. Leave right now. I said, no, don't leave right now. You don't have to listen to me, but don't leave right now. And he started to get agitated. He was talking a little bit with a boyish voice, a whiny voice, and this dark guttural voice. And I just talked to him earlier and it was a different voice. So I'm trying to separate the demonic voice, his voice, and the little boy voice. And so I was like, okay, okay. You're agitated, that's fine. Why don't you just tell me about your tattoos? I see you have a lot of tattoos. He went back to the other voice, started telling me all about his tattoos. And for the next eight to 10 minutes, I let him tell me about his tattoos. And then I was like, can you say for me right now, can you just repeat after me in the name of Jesus, leave me? All of a sudden, I thought he was gonna bite his tongue off. He's like, I can't, it won't let me, I can't. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. How about this? Say, by the blood of Jesus, leave me alone. Just by the blood of Jesus, leave me alone. He said, by the blood of Jesus, leave me alone. Say it again, by the blood of Jesus, leave me alone. By the blood of Jesus, leave me alone. Now say, in the name of Jesus, leave me. In the name of Jesus, leave me. In the name of Jesus, leave me. And I said, you have no authority in my life. You have no authority in my life. Jesus is the Lord of my life. He's the Lord of my life. He's the king in this kingdom. You have no place in my life. He's in control. He's the Lord of my life. And as he kept talking in the name and by the blood and by the power of Jesus, all of a sudden it lifted, his eyes opened up, his face changed, and he looked around and he's like, oh my gosh, I can, I can hear my voice. I can, I can hear my voice. And I'm like, there you are. There you are. It's okay. And then he looked at me dead serious. He said, did you just perform a low-key exorcism on me? <laughs> and I was like, no, it was high-key. High-key <laughs> high exorcism, bro. 
And what's crazy is all of our students are coming in on Wednesday night for ministry, just walking by, and they're like, what's going on over there? Oh, just an exorcism. (laughs) We prayed together afterward, and he was just lighthearted, and I prayed for him, and he left. And I said, from here on out, every time you hear those voices, He's a liar. He's the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Everything he tells you, the truth is the opposite from here on out. And he would say to me, oh, he doesn't like that. He does not like that you just said that. Well, I said, tell him this. You're going to pray through prayers of renunciation. Oh, he hates that word. He hates that word. And I'm like, he certainly does hate that word. But you're going to do it tonight through your house with your fiance. Man, the freedom in his life the last couple weeks has been powerful. I know you didn't come to hear this on Easter. Satan is real. Jesus is more powerful. His voice knocks him to the ground and pushes him back. But if you don't know that name of Jesus, man, you're a sitting duck. He's real. He's destroying people's lives. He's inhabiting people. He's oppressing people. He's filling homes and hearts all over our community. I've been walking around this community. I've been driving around this community, praying for every heart and home in this community, every business in this community, because it's not about our church. It's about our communities and our neighborhoods. Just saying, in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, leave and leave us alone. The story goes on and Jesus kind of pulls back the curtain of what's happened in that moment because the soldiers grab him and then his disciple Peter starts lopping off ears and and all this stuff. And he says, put your sword away. He says, don't you know that I could call upon my father in this next verse and at my disposal is 12 legions of angels that could rescue me? A, A legion is 5,000 angels conservatively. This is 60,000 angels poised and ready to pounce at that moment to rescue Christ. It's as if Christ is saying, nobody's gonna take my life. I'm gonna willingly give it. We know from Revelation 12 that one third of the angels fell in the beginning and became demons. So there's roughly 60,000 powerful angels and 20,000 demons in the heavenly realm. And Jesus is like, just want you to know something going on behind the curtain right now. The story goes on, and as Jesus is taken away, the disciples had deserted him. He was at the judgment seat, and he was being tried. And Pilate, one of the big wigs, was here. And it says, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this text message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. She's talking about Jesus. For I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Doesn't it seem like Jesus has got a lot going on? He's alone. He's been beat up. He's been spit on. Crown of thorns on his head. Everybody's scorning him. They say, we don't want Barabbas. We want him. And he's standing there all by himself at the judgment seat. And he has enough time and enough care for one person to enter into their life and into their dream world and convince somebody that's a pagan that he's an innocent man. And this guy who has the the power and authority to to let him go or to crucify him. His wife says, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. She's giving veracity to his claim that this guy's innocent. Jesus didn't have to speak for himself. Jesus is disrupting dreams. And she said, I've suffered a great deal today because of him in a dream. 
Jesus is so unreal. There's something going on in the seen and something going on in the unseen at the same time. Do you know in the Muslim community, particularly the ones who can't hear the gospel or don't know anything about Jesus in the Middle East, one of the main ways that they come to faith in Jesus Christ is he comes to them in the dream, encounters them, tells them who he is, what he did for them, and they come to know Jesus, not from a human, but from Jesus showing up in a dream through a theophany. It's crazy. You can look it up on the internet. Well, then he goes to the cross and he's nailed to the cross. And after three hours at the 12th hour, it says in the text, all the way from 12 to three, all of creation, knowing that Jesus was suffering, started to suffer with him. And also the darkness, if you read commentary, the darkness was getting darker and darker and darker until it enveloped the whole world. The darkness thought it was gonna win. Make no mistake. And it's pitch black, so black that some commentaries knew the prophecy of Jesus where he said, I'm going to destroy the temple and raise it up in three days. I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back to life. And because of that, soldiers would grab the ankles and the cross of Jesus. It was so dark. It isn't like the street lamps went on. This is way back in the first century. They would grab the ankles of Jesus as he was crucified to make sure no one stole them and he didn't get off this cross. And it's so dark, everybody's fleeing, everybody's freaking out. They had crucifixions every week, all year round. This wasn't the only time they've done this. They had done this tradition for nearly 60 years, I believe. And so they were used to crucifixions. They just weren't used to killing a man where all of creation went dark in response to his lordship. So the darkness came in. It's always darkest before the dawn in our lives. And it got so dark. And the next verse says, when Jesus in that sixth hour breathed his last and he gave up his spirit, that at that moment, the curtain in the temple, the temple veil was torn from top to bottom, which shows it's a spiritual realm. Man, priests did not do this. The Sanhedrin didn't do this. God took this curtain that was nearly six inches thick and ripped it in half to say God's breaking out of this place and he is allowing us to come into his presence now. It isn't just one man once a year that goes in to make atonement for the people. God wants to break out and he's gonna start inhabiting the human heart as the temple of the Holy Spirit. A new day has come, a new covenant is here blood bought by Jesus Christ himself and the earth spit, split and there was an earthquake and it was dark and all of creation is shaking. It was crazy what was going on in the spiritual realm. And after this, Jesus died. It's a part of the story that isn't really talked about a whole lot. What did Jesus do and where did he go for the next three days? Well, you're like, oh, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb was given to him. He laid in the tomb, but where did his spirit go? Well, it's very clear in the scriptures that he went down to hell. Even the Apostles' Creed says this, goes down to Sheol and starts preaching in hell to the captives who had been captivated. 
And in Revelation chapter one, Jesus says this, don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and see I'm alive forever and ever. I have the keys now of death and Hades. He went down there to get the keys into Sheol. I was looking at one commentary from Desiring God and they said this, it's a big phrase, but I want you to know the biblical, um, I want you to know the biblical veracity of him going to Sheol. It says in the Bible, Sheol is the place of the souls of the dead, both righteous and wicked. The description of Sheol in the Old and New Testaments bears some resemblance to the Hades of Greek mythology. It is under the earth. It is like a city with gates and bars. It is a land of darkness, a place where the shadowy souls of men dwell. It is the land of forgetfulness, where no work is done and no wisdom exists. Most significantly, Sheol is a place where no one praises God. Following his death for sin, then Jesus journeys to Hades, to the city of death, and rips its gates off off the hinges and takes its keys once for all. He liberates the captives, ransoming them from the power of Sheol. This is salvation. And everyone else is just like, oh, there's a grave and there's a stone. Yeah, there is, but he had some work to do for the next three days. And it's to go down into Sheol to grab the keys, to grab the gates, rip them off the hinges and set the captives free. And so we can say with Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, oh, death, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He purchased that by his power and his death. And lastly, the story goes on. And after he had passed and the darkness came and the earthquake happened, it was crazy. The centurion that was there looked at him and saw how he died. Not just that he died, he saw people die all the time. He crucified people, it was his job. He saw how he died, he knew it was different. And said, surely this man is the son of God. He's legit, he's the real deal. He's the anointed, he's the prophesied Messiah. And a Roman gave his life to Christ right after he watched the thief on the cross give his life to Christ that said, will you remember me in your kingdom? And it's like, this day you'll be with me in paradise. At the end of Jesus' life, people are getting saved. The criminals and the soldiers that were reviling him and attacking him, they were like, you're the real deal. And it's because in the darkness as he's grabbing his ankle, he's hearing Jesus in all those statements. Oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you turning your back on me? And he was turning his back on his son because his son became our sin so that we could be like his son. He didn't just die for your sin. He died of your sin. And let me bring it home to you. This last week on spring break, you probably sinned an awful lot. He died of your sin on that cross not just for your sin. And so much sin caked him and covered him, he became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. So he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then he said to all the people that were surrounding him, yelling at him, if you're the savior, come down from there. 
If you're the king of the Jews, why don't you come down from there? Save yourself and us, all these things. This guy is hearing all of that. And then he heard the phrase of Jesus, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The centurion heard that. And I imagine he got to the end. And after he breathed his last, he said, you said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what I'm doing. And I'm saying, Father, forgive me. I didn't know what I was doing. Six hours ago, I nailed those nails into your hands, pinning you to that pole. And six hours hours later, I'm confessing that you are in fact the son of God. A lot can happen in six hours. A lot can happen in the last hour and 15 minutes in this room. God doesn't need much time to change a human heart. That same week where all hell was breaking loose, heaven was breaking loose too. Hell doesn't actually manifest unless there's a threat. And when people are growing and when people are getting free, hell puts up a fight. You will not even see satanic activity as long as you're distracted and deceived. But once you know you're deceived and you start coming to the light and the lights start going on in your life, that's when all hell breaks loose to try to intimidate you back saying, you go back, I'll leave you alone if you leave my kingdom alone. And so last week I went over to Starbucks and there was this guy that I've been talking to for a while and he was just asking about Christ. He was in the Afghanistan war. He'd seen so many horrific things. In the last couple of years, he'd had affairs on his wife. He had this manic energy inside of him. It's just so much brokenness. It got to the point where last August, he, he was gonna commit suicide because of it. And he was starting to go mentally just insane. And so he, he took himself to the VA and they admitted him for a month to go through rehab for mental illness. And he came out, started attending our church in October, the beginning of the Genesis series. And he was just, he was right there. He's like, I know something's going on. I'm not really religious. And I just started talking to him about this Jesus that I'm talking to you about today. And we're at the table over in Starbucks and he wasn't really time for him to receive Christ into his heart quite yet. And so I was like, bro, we can meet again. And so I came back here and I went to the bathroom and I have my best thoughts in the bathroom. And I was in the bathroom and I had this thought, where God just impressed in my heart, I want you to fast from food until this guy comes to know me as his personal savior. And I said to God, no, I don't wanna do that. Not unless you give me an end date. I wanna know when he's, I'll, I can do it till Friday. It's just like Monday. I can even do it a couple weeks, but I, I'll get hangry. And, uh, He's like, no, no end date. I want you to be so hungry for his salvation that you give up your hunger for food. And it was scary. I asked my wife, she's very logical. And I thought she's gonna talk me off the ledge. She was like, oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> and I'm like, if I gained weight, do you want me to go through weight loss? Why would you say that to me? And I went to our staff and uh, it was crazy. I told our staff about it. They're like, oh man, that sounds powerful. I'm like, but any pushback though, anything like, nah, I don't think you're hearing right, discerning the spirit sort of thing. No, nah, no, nah, that sounds really good. In fact, Ryan, my exec pastor, went to the uh, little refrigerator in our office and he came out with chocolate milk and he said, have a nice day. This is what you're gonna be drinking for a lot of weeks. And he gave me his chocolate milk and I went home. And so I'm praying for him all night long, 
into the next day. By the next day at about 11.30, he emailed me his prayer of salvation that he gave his life to the Lord. And I didn't know if I was happier that I could eat for lunch or that he came to know Christ as his personal savior. But just, I am so hungry for people to come to know this Jesus that can knock Satan on his butt and give them freedom that they've never known before so they can actually take the red pill. This is the red pill Easter story where you can get out of the matrix of this world of disinformation and confusion and lies and say, I wanna see the truth and live my life, my short one precious life on this little pale blue dot hanging in space. I wanna make the most of my life. And I'm gonna just tell you right now, you need Jesus to do that because he's your creator and he'll be your finisher. I wrote out a prayer of salvation for those of you that are like, I need to invite that Christ you're talking about into my life like the centurion and the thief on the cross. I wanna do that, great. This is your opportunity to pray to God a prayer of salvation to invite the Holy Spirit into your heart and for you to follow him. If you haven't prayed this before, pray this inside. Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a savior and you are my savior. You died in my place to take all the punishment for my sin. I receive your gift of salvation by grace through faith. You are the Lord of my life. I follow you now. I know that you are the son of God. I'm yours, Lord. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen means so be it. It is true. It is true. Some of you, your heart's pounding. Your brain just said that. Your heart just said that. And you made that confession. I'd love to know in this place, and we'd love to celebrate in this place. If you prayed that prayer just a second ago and gave your heart to the Lord. Could you just raise your hand in boldness in this place so we can celebrate that with you down here? There's a couple back here. Just keep it up. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, God. Thank you for what you did for us, Jesus. Satan heard this message too. <laughs> so he's gonna probably turn up the heat on some of the people here that are taking that next step toward you. We're all taking a step toward you today. And so I pray that you would go with them and when they feel any threat in their life, after they're starting to live in the light, and live in the truth, I pray that you would just assure them that you are more powerful than the enemy and then some, and that they would speak your name, the power of your name and the power of your blood, God. And this Easter weekend, we certainly celebrate everything you did for us, but we don't want to be under any sort of masquerade or guise that we are just sidetracked from the main gospel message. And that's you came, you died for our sins, and we desperately need you because we're in a world at war. We can feel it. And we want to take our lives back, Lord, but we're going to need your help to do that. So we grab a hold of you, Jesus, your power, your name, your blood that gives us our Easter story today, that we might die with you to our sins and raise to new life in you and your resurrection. To say with Paul, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and fellowship with his suffering, becoming like him in his death so as to somehow attain a resurrection of the death, dead 
Forgetting what is behind and straining forth to what is before, I press on to the mark for the prize of the high calling to which Jesus has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God, help us to forget what's behind and press toward what's ahead and to let the fullness of your Easter story wash over us today. The whole truth and nothing but the truth, God. Thank you, God, that you are the powerful king of the universe, that no one took your life, that you willingly gave it to die for our sins, to give us freedom in the life now and in the life to come, God. May we live our lives to honor you this day and every Easter day for the next 364 days until we meet again. We celebrate it every day. This story means so much to us. You're so special to us, God. And we pay homage to you and give you high honor and high praise in this place. And it's in Jesus' powerful name that we come and everyone said, amen. 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 Happy Easter. Thanks for coming today.